you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. And we're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is October 13th, 2023. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Friday, October the 13th, that is. <laughs> Hopefully your day is going pretty well. How are you doing, Bobbin? I'm doing good, man. Like, yeah, I did. Friday the 13th, yeah. I'm not as superstitious, so I'm doing good. Um, I'm usually not either, but the way my day has been yeah. going so far. Yeah, you 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 have something to, to blame for. Like, come on. It was because of October the 13th. Like. I mean, between like my basement half flooding and mm -hmm. just, uh, just yeah. what's going on. Not fun. <laughs> not fun. Hopefully, uh, you're doing some fun stuff this weekend. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Only no rain yeah uh, agreed like even the temperature even though the temperature is like eh, not as much fun to be outside what? but yeah put, this, is, put this is like uh sweater weather epic, epic sweater weather yeah, yeah, yeah sweater it's all weather man this is perfect weather I know. uh I, i'm just debating whether i should make the trip to like white mountains or uh, oh, yeah. uh, for the fall thing but then just looking at things on instagram like man it's so crowded and i don't so really yeah so I might not end up doing that, but I'm still trying to figure out like if I should like wake up like super early, drive there, reach there at like 7 a.m., look at the colors in the in the perfect golden light and, and then come back before the crowd show up. Yeah. So I've, if I, I've seen yeah. pictures of like, are you talking about like the Kankamongas Highway? Yeah. It's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like bumper to bumper. I don't, I don't know. That would, I feel like it would take all the, the fun out of it. Yeah. Yep. So that's why I'm like, that's why I don't have any concrete plans. Like I'm just trying to co convince myself that it's okay if you don't go, like it's still, you're still in New England. Like you, you, they won't just look you out the window, but <laughs> oh, no, you're kind of in the city. So you gotta, you yeah. gotta get out here. So come, come visit me and then you see some trees. Perfect. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, no, no other plans, right? Just like full steam ahead for KubeCon as you know, like both of us will be there yeah. uh, representing our like employers, but also just trying to catch up with people in the community. So should be a fun time, but yeah, three weeks, man. Whew, cutting it too close. Yeah, no, real close. And we're going to be at DevOps Days Boston. I know, Monday, yeah. Tuesday. Uh, we'll be doing the show uh, sort mm -hmm. of pseudo live in the afternoons at DevOps Days Boston, which should be a lot of fun. So I don't know if anybody listening is going to be there, but come stop by. We'll have a little bit of swag, yeah. uh, stickers and stuff like that for you. And you could come talk to us about what you're, what you're up to and why you're there. That'd be fun. I know. It, it sounds like a really cool event, right? Like I haven't been to any previous DevOps Days Boston. Oh, no? like, okay. Yeah. I moved here during COVID and like, I think this is the first one after oh, COVID. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so, I've been to them pre-COVID like a long time ago. I think it's been yeah. going on since 2015. At least, because that's I want to say the time frame I was there. So okay, yeah, and they have been posting on their LinkedIn uh, channel, right, about like the different speakers and the different talks. I'm excited for those. Like I added a few people from the speaker list to my LinkedIn network, and those are some awesome people to follow. So I'm excited, dude. Uh, hopefully, we get to have conversations with them again. This is mostly ad hoc, right? We'll see how it goes, but yeah, I'm excited for the event in general. Yeah, exactly. Paul Bruce does an awesome job uh, with the organization um, and organizers in general. Thanks to all of them for putting it together and uh, we're excited yeah. to be there. 
Cool. So awesome. we have a fun topic. It's just you and I today. We're going to jib a little bit about uh, Kubernetes and uh, specifically about sort of what its role is at the edge. But before mm-hmm. we dive into that topic, uh, got a bit of news. So I think it's I think it's all all your news articles. So let's dive. Yeah, in. we'll be right back after this short break. As longtime listeners of the Kubernetes Bytes podcast know, I like to visit different national parks and go on day hikes. As part of these hikes, it's always necessary to hydrate during and after it's done. This is where our next sponsor comes in, Liquid IV. I've been using Liquid IV since last year on all of my national park trips because it's really easy to carry and I don't have to worry about buying and carrying Gatorade bottles with me. A single stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates two times faster than water and has more electrolytes than ever. The best part is I can choose my own flavor. Personally, I like passion fruit, but they have 12 different options available. If you want to change the way you hydrate when you're outside, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code KubernetesBytes at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code KubernetesBytes at liquidiv.com. And we are back. Let's let's do some cloud native news, right? So uh, first and foremost, uh, Cilium, the CNI plugin that everybody loves, uh, officially graduates as a CNCF project. So uh, mm-hmm. moves into that graduated status, joins the likes of like Flux, Argo, Kubernetes itself. Uh, again, that just means it has a lot of community support and the amount of money that Isovalent is putting in behind it that says a lot as well. Uh, people who for people who don't know what Cilium is, it's a CNI plugin that provides layer three to four connectivity. Uh, three and four uh, connectivity between container workloads. It has since expanded. Uh, I think it added like network policy support, some sort of uh, meshing multiple Kubernetes networks together uh, and allowing for like ingress and egress gateways and and so on and so forth. So uh, obviously Cilium, I think it's a default offering if you select deploy like an AKS cluster and an EKS cluster, but this just shows to me like, okay, this is is a stable thing. Yeah, they have some observability stuff in there as well, some security stuff. Um, And I'm reading here that it's the second most active CNCF project in terms of like commits and all that stuff. So that's. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm assuming first is Kubernetes? I don't know. It was a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. And then a couple of funding rounds, right? Uh, Just a, a note, right? I think people are raising money. That's always a good sign that we want these Kubernetes startups or startups in the Kubernetes ecosystem to be around, uh, like to start new ventures that solves challenges or be around and continue delivering value to uh, users and customers in the community. So we none of the startups are now sharing what their total valuation is because some of these might be like flat rounds or down rounds. This is just new money that's making sure that people still have jobs and the the technology continues to be there. So uh, first vendor on the list, Pulumi. Uh, everybody knows, uh, everybody who's using anything or doing anything in the infrastructure as cloud space knows what uh, who Pulumi is. They raised uh, CDC $41 million. And we had Scott Lowe from Pulumi last year at KubeCon on our podcast to talk about everything that they're doing. Uh, but an interesting stat, right, that they shared in their uh, announcement or press release was uh, they have like 2,000 customers that have chosen their Pulumi cloud offering for their infrastructure as code. So that's always a good number, right? Like you have, in addition to the 150K end users that are using your open source offerings, uh, having like more than 2,000 paying customers is definitely a good sign. And 
uh with terraform the way things is, things have evolved in the community and with open tofu i think pulumi has a ch- has the opportunity to become like the go to infrastructure as code solution uh in in this ecosystem so congrats to everybody at pulumi uh, we're glad that you you have some new money to spend yeah um <clears throat> vc money is not an easy thing to come by in today's yeah. ecosystem, especially in sort of the infrastructure as code space where there's, you know, there's a ton going on. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. And uh, I think even like we are VC money a comment, right? I think it's really difficult for people to do these B, C, D, E, F rounds. I think if you are in that early like seed, maybe pre-seed, maybe series A, I think you, are, you, you still have a good chance of raising money because... Uh, the valuations are more in your favor for people who have raised money during the pandemic when the valuations were crazy high. Yeah, yeah, the VCs don't want to invest more money at that high valuation, so you will ha- you will see compromises being done uh, when when these next rounds show up. Uh, but talking about like seed funding rounds, uh, perfect opportunity for to call out a new startup called Perfect Scale. Perfect and they how did you do that on purpose? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself at this moment, right? Like, come on, yes. <laughs> it, it, like, this is what episode 50-something does for you. You know, you you build sentences on the go. <laughs> but yeah, Perfect Scale raised like a $7.1 million seed funding round. They did have some pre-seed funding. So basically, their total capital raised is around $10 million. Uh, they want to... I love their mission, right? Their mission is to level the playing field for optimizing Kubernetes costs and performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically turning every organization into an organization that has those elite DevOps and R&D teams uh, to, to manage their Kubernetes clusters for them. So uh, power to perfect scale. Uh, it lo- from their website, it looks like they have great dashboards where they can help you monitor and improve your application performance, uh, resilience, uh, some queue cost flavors. So they show you a uh, wasted cloud spend or the amount of money that you can be saving by uh, changing some things. Uh, and then adding automation to reduce repetitive operations tasks. So again, pre-seed uh, round, right? So they're still brand new. Their technology stack might not be like fully evolved, but uh, it's another startup to watch out for uh, in, yeah. in this ecosystem. Yeah, I feel like in the last you know year, the space around optimization and automation, or even when you combine those things with sort of AI and ML models. Oh yeah, you said the right word. Like yeah, right yeah. buzzwords. <laughs> I, you know those those types of startups, I think, are are probably yeah. at the top of the list when it comes to the ones getting funding and or the ones breaking yeah. into the market. I'd say I'd I'd love to break that down a little bit more, but uh, just by you know looking back at kind of all the conversations we've had, I would I would put money on it. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I don't have the stat in front of me, but I read some article from TechCrunch which was like, if you have anything to do with AI, like true AI, like not just adding the word AI in your description or uh, for what your company does, uh, you have like, I think 40% or 60% more chance of raising uh, venture funding right now. So that's obviously a good sign. Any, as you said, anything to do in that ecosystem, uh, yeah, you're good. So don't worry about not being able to grow your company or build your company from scratch exciting stuff and then finally uh loft labs uh i don't know if people know loft labs but yeah they have an exciting uh, solution called v cluster uh that has been around in the open source ecosystem since i think 2021 so around for two years uh according to their website it has been super popular with over 40 million virtual kubernetes clusters already deployed using the v cluster mm. project so v cluster allows you to run have like a, a multi-tenant large Kubernetes cluster. And then you can spin up these V clusters or virtual clusters 
in individual namespaces of that multi-unit cluster. And mm-hmm. each of these virtual clusters are fully CNCF conformant, uh, have access to the same API. So if you wanted to run uh, a multi-tenant stack where each user got their own Kubernetes cluster, or at least they felt like they got their own Kubernetes cluster, vCluster is the solution for you. The new announcement talks about vCluster.pro, which is their commercial edition now for the vCluster software. It adds additional admission security controls, um, so like provides an isolated control plane, has like a new core DNS pod, which basically uh, combines like core DNS, API server, and syncer components into a single pod and enable some networking between the virtual cluster and the host cluster or between different virtual clusters that are running on the same host cluster. So again, uh, vCluster is interesting. This is just a commercial solution for it. Gotcha. Yeah, I think the um, the whole concept of abstractions, right? The, this is a recurring theme, right? <laughs> abstraction on top of Kubernetes. Yep. Not surprising here, uh, although I, I did read through this a little bit and it does say sort of like today it's most widely used pre-production meaning mm-hmm. reducing the overall physical yeah. Kubernetes servers that you're paying for. Um, again, really tied to, you know, efficiency and cost and those kind of things. But I think the pro thing is more aimed at production anyway. Yeah, and the pre-production thing makes total sense, right? Like you don't want all developers to continuously spin up Kubernetes clusters and have to pay cloud compute, like costs on, on your cloud bill or on-prem you need to scale and have that infrastructure because each Kubernetes cluster needs a control plane, a highly available control plane even, maybe three nodes for the testing that you want to do. So yeah, this definitely helps solve that pre-production use case where it accelerates the time with which developers can write code, test it out, and then eventually push things into a proper Kubernetes cluster that's running in production. Yeah, and I feel like this is a topic we've kind of Talked about a little bit in terms of the complexity of managing a lot of, you know, like a fleet of Kubernetes clusters, yeah. you know, with our conversation with Maduri and yep. Melodal, right? They're kind of, you know, being able to manage them all the same from a single endpoint. You know, there's there's solutions out there for yeah. this kind of thing, but it's it's clearly a um, high priority problem uh, <laughs> that needs a solution. So, yeah, very interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard about it until this. Awesome. And that's it for the, for the news section for me, Ryan. That's it for the news section for me too, Bobbin. We'll be right back after this short break. If you've ever had a puppy and raised it to become a big dog, you know that changing food and finding the right food is hard to get right. Ultimately, you want them to feel good and act happy and be okay with what they're eating. They're part of your family after all. I have an eight-year-old golden retriever named Roscoe, and he's always had a sensitive stomach, so finding the right food is kind of a pain. That's where Nom Nom comes in. Nom Nom's food is full of fresh protein that your dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. You can actually see proteins and vegetables like beef, chicken, pork, peas, carrots, kale, and more in the ingredients. So here's how it works. You tell them about your puppy, the age, breed, weight, allergies, protein preferences, chicken, pork, beef, and they'll tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them straight to you. If you're ready to make the switch to fresh, order Nom Nom today and go to https forward slash forward slash trynom.com slash Kubernetes Bites and get your 50% off of your first order plus free shipping. Plus Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. And we're back. 
Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping the news a little short to this week. Um, It's Bavin and I again. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't have a guest today. Uh, We are going to be recording some stuff again next week at Davos Days Boston. So we're kind of driving into next week. But today we did want to have sort of one of our high level 101 episodes about sort of uh, Kubernetes at the edge. Um, we mm-hmm. did a few ta- a few interviews with some members of uh, the community, both from MLB and um, last l- last episode uh, with Chick Fil A, that really yeah. focus on these types of solutions. So we wanted to kind of take a step back, um, even though you know having those real use cases are are super valuable to to hear the insights from those individuals. Um, it's it, we wanted to kind of step back and say, you know, what problem is being solved? What does it mean? What are the yeah. projects out there that you could do this kind of thing? So I don't know, where do we start? Let's start <laughs> with, um, let's start with just defining a little bit about what is edge computing. Let's go. Yeah, edge computing, right? Like I, I, I love that we have started using these terms. And again, edge computing is not like a brand new term that even Kubernetes came up with. It has been around, but I think for me, the crux of the, the solution or crux of this term is it's just enabling you to run or process data closer to where it's generated rather than shipping everything back to like a central data center location or a central cloud location which might result in like additional latency so this is like going to the source i I know i'm going to butcher this up but it's like what (laughs) taking the horse to the well to drink water instead of bringing the well over i I hope i said it right but (laughs) yeah it's about like uh uh, managing and manipulating your data and and processing your data uh closer to where it's generated and as ryan already said right it's uh those examples like uh the major league baseball stadiums and the chick-fil-a locations or any other retail locations that you might have uh and like one more thing before i like uh, i hand it over to you ryan for your perspective it's like this is also because even today the even with the amount of bandwidth that we have available, I know I have a gig internet at home. So obviously commercial. You do? <laughs> I do, yeah. dude. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, even even with all of these things, like the cheapest way to transfer data is actually through UPS or FedEx, right? And that that's another reason why you see those <laughs> big ass 18 wheeler trucks from AWS helping you to move your data from your on-prem data centers to your data centers. So uh, this is like, okay, why do I need to push everything? Like I, I can just uh, process my data, analyze it, and maybe send a summary back to my core data center. So this is this is us talking about everything that that involves or falls under that bucket of processing data locally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for me, I think Edge is really defined by sort of the way we as sort of users or humans interact with um, and expect systems to work, right? And in terms of like, we, when we're on our phones, we we expect our, you know, whatever we're interacting with to be sort of speedy. Yep. Um, we want fast perf- uh, response times to whatever application we're working with. Um, but from sort of the organizational side, we know, like you said, moving a lots and lots of data that might be collected at the edge, whether that's you know in a manufacturing facility, mm-hmm. at a farm, or in a in a in a hospital, you know those various use cases. I'm sure we'll talk about them a little bit more. Yeah. You know, there's there's not the amount of time that needed to to wait on you know sending everything <laughs> back to a core data center, and and coming back to it. So really, I think right. Um, edge really fueled by performance and mm-hmm. cost, I think, in my eyes, in terms of like looking at the amount of data and, and the user experience, or I shouldn't say 
solely the user experience, really the experience of yeah. sort of whatever that use case may be, right? It could be another system interacting with it. No, and, and, and like I, I like that you bring up performance uh, because uh, thinking about performance, right? As you said, you don't want to wait for the response time of sending all of that data, getting processed at your data center and then shipping it back. Like imagine self-driving cars, right? Like they have yeah. to process data <laughs> and videos in uh, real-time videos in in some millisecond, even smaller yeah. than that fraction of a millisecond, maybe. Uh, if if they are waiting for to analyze like a red light or a pedestrian, if they are sending <laughs> all of that video files, that they're huge files, right? Because it has it like I'm sure it's in a good resolution. It's not. I'm sure it's not 4K, but it's not like some old format which i can't remember right now but uh it, it, they have to do that like near real time analysis <laughs> right so uh, having edge solutions definitely help with that yeah i mean self driving cars is definitely like uh, uh a sort of a cornerstone yeah. um use case for edge i mean a a cell phone technically is an edge device yeah. a car is obviously a big one uh, there's so there's so many out there we can yep. do but i you know i do want to mention the couple of uh episodes that we did talk about right in mlb's yep. case mm-hmm. right um those are the stats being shown to you on screen you know when a home run is hit or yeah. how fast a fastball is going or those kind of those kind of things you know those things happen in real time as you're watching them right yeah. i think the the expectation uh for you to find out how fast a pitch was the next inning which is like at least 20 <laughs> minutes later wouldn't be a great um experience yeah. right so again uh sort of the, the demand for processing the data closest right in the stadium we're talking about i think um was the example and these are and and these aren't necessarily what everybody thinks about when they think edge. There's there's a lot of different sort of um, perspectives on edge, yeah. right? And I think there's this good paper that I was reading on the mm-hmm. on the Packet Hub, Packet Pub, <laughs> I should say. It was a couple <laughs> different ones, but they kind of talked about the different breakdowns, right? There's sort of the cloud layer, cloud layer, which is like the mm-hmm. core that we kind of think about every time we talk about cloud, AWS, GCP, Azure. Then there's sort of the near edge which mm-hmm. is like the cell towers, LTE networks, those yeah. kind of things. Then you have sort of the far edge where you'll find a lot of like the infrastructure based, you know, even Kubernetes clusters we'll talk about yeah. today. And then I think a lot of people, when they think about edge, they're thinking this paper defines it as tiny edge, which I kind of like that term because nice. it it really puts in perspective of like things are tiny right <laughs> like physically yeah. at the edge like these are sensors <laughs> on farm equipment uh sensors and mm-hmm. and uh an ekg or whatever it may be oh, yeah. um that are collecting little tiny bits of data on a little small computing device i think that's the most common and maybe i'm wrong but that's the most common when people think about like the iot devices and edge yep. they, they associate those things but there's you know there's so many levels of of necessarily what someone's talking about edge right and there's there's even terms that have been used before this i mean with uh our conversation uh with chick-fil-a they we talked about fog computing yeah. right um <laughs> uh, which which one i wasn't necessarily super familiar with but it it more it kind of like think about a cloud that kind of encapsulates a lot of those different yeah. edge layers um so yeah i you know for for the purposes of sort of the those use cases, I think they they vary. The MLB one and the Chick Fil A one, because mm-hmm. Chick Fil A's, I guess you classify as retail, right? Yeah, I guess I, I guess that would be. And really, that's about sort of the experience of the customer mostly, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, I think we talked about how 
the stuff that the business cares about is what they're sending back to uh, the core data center anyway, right? Some of it's just processed and, and, and used right away at the retail location. Same thing with MLB, right? The the stuff that's surfaced right away, and then it's kind of tracked back. So we'll, we'll yep. talk about the different types of data and data management later in the episode. <laughs> and I agree, right? Like the, the different protocols co- uh, comment that you made earlier, like solutions or protocols like MQTT being relevant at those tiny devices uh, or tiny edge solutions. Mm, yeah. It's uh, uh, And this was something that like Brian last week brought it up as well, like there are air fryers or just regular fryers at Chick-fil-A locations that will send data to their edge location or their edge deployment uh, in MQTT format. But I'm clearly not an MQTT expert. So for this discussion, for me at least, it's mostly like, okay, how does Kubernetes and and its variants, like different solutions that are projects that we'll talk about today, fit into those use cases? Like, so I'm more worried about uh, where the the servers or the the nooks that we have at these edge locations and how we orchestrate them and, and run our applications uh, at that location, then I personally am at like how we ma- manipulate those tiny devices because they are definitely important, right? Like yeah. all these edge use cases, they are the ones that are collecting and generating a lot of data. I remember like at uh, when you used to work at Portworks, you did a cool demo around like a Did, temperature yeah. sensor at in, yeah. inside your uh, office space and yeah. how it fluctuates and send all of that. So yeah, all of those, that's where the data is being generated. So our solution is like, okay, let's ha- let's figure out how we process that data or how we make sense of that data closer to yeah. that edge rather than sending all of that information back. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was a fun little use case, right? It was like the whole goal was to predict the temperature of my office, yeah. right? Eventually <laughs> to to run predictions on it, uh, which which was really not so useful because you know with a, a with, <laughs> with a, a smart thermostat, thermostat in my house, <laughs> we could pretty much guess what the temperature based on. What the temperature, but it was interesting because you could see like different times yeah. of of the day or year that kind of thing, and and that's a good uh, use case because it's like you know for this episode we're going to talk about the Kubernetes components and yeah. where and how they run. We're not necessarily talking about every single edge use case. And, you yeah. know, we talked about tiny devices. It's not always a tiny device. It could be a full rack nearer to, um, you know, uh, nearer to whatever application it's serving. Yep. Um, doesn't have to be those kind of things. So we're going to talk a little bit about sort of what are the projects out there mm-hmm. um, and, and in the Kubernetes space specifically, you know, the edge is such a giant uh, topic, but we're, we'll focus in on them. Before yeah, we do that, I, I do want to talk about <laughs> some of the challenges. Though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, my challenge is like, uh, like, I know we have a bunch in this list, but for me, it is around uh, physical constraints. Like sure. edge locations are not your... Uh, so I did, okay, a, a tangent. So when I was doing my masters at NC State, right, they had a data center tour, and that was the first time I stepped foot in a data center, and it was okay, so yeah, fancy, right. dude. Like it was like they had like the hot aisle, cold aisle. Yep. Everything was properly ventilated. They had to maintain temperatures. Everything yep. was so neatly wired up. I'm pretty sure it was like an EBC data center. Uh, okay. Like I've personally worked in a in a proper data center as well, and it's not as neat. It's not as great. <laughs> uh, but uh, like at edge locations, right? You you can't expect to meet all of those same requirements you won't 
even have like a sure. proper rack you might just yeah. have like a, a home depot table or an ikea table uh, yeah. where you are just putting down your server and just ho- uh, putting a switch on top of it and making sure that it works so yeah i think I brian think, said their their nooks uh in chick-fil-a which is like the back office yeah uh, or yeah. at least at one time right I'm, i don't know what <laughs> what it looks like today but. yeah and and that's a valid re- re- concern or, or challenge to solve for so like in in my past right i've worked at lenovo and lenovo did like a, come up with like a really awesome like a small x86 based server mm-hmm. i forgot what 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 it was called the model number but it uh, it was a completely ruggedized system it was dust sure. resistant yeah. moisture resistant and still had like an intel cpu under it so you can actually run proper workloads on it so i think it's when you are thinking about the edge, don't think about Chick-fil-A's, maybe even think about uh, oil rigs, right? Where you might have, it's middle of the ocean. So you don't even know whether you'll have proper electricity coming. Obviously there will be, but like you have to plan for all of those things. So I think that's a big challenge to solve for. Like how do we handle those physical elements uh, when we are thinking just about technology? Yeah. Or you know what the use case that comes up that always makes me giggle a little bit is our our friend and colleague, uh, Tim, um, oh when, yeah when he sort of <laughs> wrote a paper on how he designed this bear proof box because of the location he lives at on the top of a mountain because mm-hmm. he's a mountain man in many regards but basically to help kind of maintain his network and and connectivity for when things are off grid and yep. those kind of things but the whole idea was it was kind of baked into this bear proof box box because it was outside and those kind of mm-hmm. things so yeah it, it Edge can really serve so many, so many use cases. Um, challenges wise, I mean, the other thing is uh, Edge, you know, comes with complexity of the fact that there's just more locations, right? Yeah. When you're moving, when you're moving things, uh, parts of the application closer to the data um, and where it needs to be processed, you therefore have more locations you're putting this in, right? Uh, even in Brian's use case, right, three thousand stores. Or MLB, it was you know yep. hundreds of of stadiums, um, mm-hmm. and you're you're not going to have personnel at those locations all the time. Yep. Right. You're 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 you need to manage these things sort of um, remotely. Uh, you may send field engineers, but but that's a whole other aspect to it. So that definitely adds to the complexity, right? Yeah. Or the challenges on edge as well. No, I agree. Right. Like it it has to be about. Uh, non like unattended installs and, and unattended management figure out how much you can do remotely like i remember like working with a a, a grocery chain as a as a customer uh, as at a previous job and to run all of their checkout systems they they had they they installed like a half a rack unit and that was their edge solution right like that's what the scale of edge looked like and it was important because they couldn't send all of that data from each point of sale system and the self-checkout counters back to their core data center, which might be in a completely different region mm-hmm. uh, to because that would just lead to like bad customer experience, huge lines at the checkout counters. They eliminated all of that by processing everything locally. So yeah, and no, they didn't have like an IT admin on staff to manage all of that equipment. So it was all about like, how can people from their main office uh, manipulate or manage all of the, all of these uh, half rack or server instances? How can they figure out like, okay, if there is any application failure, if there is any physical drive failure, node failure, how do you plan for these things? Right. So I Mm -hmm. think those are the challenges that you have to solve for when you're thinking about edge locations. Cool. Any other challenges before we go to the next thing? No, I think that's it. Like that's those are enough challenges, Ryan. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, there's there's many more I'm sure we didn't uh, mention, but that's that's yeah. totally fine. Um, let's switch gears to talk about sort of can Kubernetes help at the edge? Uh, let's talk about some of our um, opinions in this matter. Yeah, so I think Kubernetes can definitely help. Like, okay, if you d- expected a different answer listening to a Kubernetes Bytes podcast, come on, guys. <laughs> Kubernetes. I mean, we have knocked Kubernetes before. So. Yeah, but I'm not going to say yeah, Kubernetes is useless. No, Kubernetes can definitely help you uh, with these edge deployments, right? And uh, for me, I think it, I was listening just for prep for this uh, podcast episode, right? I was listening to one of the sessions that or webinars that one of our friends, Michael Cade did. Sure. Uh, it was a panel discussion where they were talking about a similar topic. And the thing that popped out to me was, yes, Kubernetes is great, but it's not just Kubernetes, right? It is mm-hmm. the standardization that it drives mm-hmm. at all of these thousands or hundreds of hundreds of thousands of edge locations uh, that an organization might have. So it's not more more. It's more about the API server and how it allows you to use declarative state of uh, for management mm-hmm. or allows you to have that consistent API set to interact with it. Then having uh, actual Kubernetes at these edge locations. So it's about the standardization. Imagine having. Uh, 10,000 retail locations for target, right? And even if you are able to manage them perfectly, even if you have like, let's say 10% of those locations having snowflake deployments, it becomes a real pain in the ass <laughs> to manage all of that. It becomes an operational nightmare. So yeah, I think standardization is the key for me. Like that's where Kubernetes can really help you with these edge locations. Yeah, and and we've obviously talked about how you know, Kubernetes isn't always just the thing you throw at a problem because it's there. You definitely have to take into account is does those, do those APIs, do the orchestration components, does the, does the sort of um, distributed system help you uh, really accomplish what you're, you're getting at? And, and you mentioned standardization and I always come back to sort of containerization as a, as a, as just a topic in general, right? Because mm-hmm. Kubernetes takes advantage of 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 uh, containerization, yep. right? We're we're managing many containers and orchestrating many containers, uh, and really the benefits there are the benefits that we're you know we're talking about when it comes to smaller runtimes, um, mm-hmm. the general standardization of how applications are built and distributed. All these things we talked about in early days of sort of Docker and containerization, you definitely get those from managing many edge locations. Yep. Um, I think we can't overlook those um, and and just because we're talking about Kubernetes. No, I agree, right? Like the ability to package everything up in that container, in that, in that I don't know, manageable unit for your application definitely helps. Agreed. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm curious about some other topics that, you know, I didn't look into for this episode, but mm-hmm. I know we talked um, about Wasm cloud native wasm yeah. and, and what its role will be again really focusing in on sort of performance and form factor smaller mm-hmm. applications i could see it be you know playing a pretty big role in edge as well i know we've talked about its use case in edge a little bit uh, although mm-hmm. it's definitely a uh, a newer sort of approach to yeah. application development um, but i i'm curious at how that kind of um uh, goes across and maybe we'll sync back up with nigel again to talk to him about when i know the the edge comparison gotcha uh, and ryan i know like i spoke about like the server form factors right but i know like you wanted to talk about x86 versus arm like how does yeah. that play into 
uh, edge uh, locations. Yeah. So if, if you're looking into edge deployments or just edge architecture in general, no doubt about it, you'll come across the the usefulness of ARM processors compared to x86. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm not an ARM expert here, but basically you have two of those. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. One, two. <laughs> expert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but really ARM is uh, sort of a solution um, that allows for less energy consumption um, and, and less power to, you know, generally less power to be used, which means that it also can run um, without fans a lot of the time. So a lot of x86 servers have, you know, the built-in fans and those kind of things to keep it cool. You talked about hot and cold Mm -hmm. aisles and data centers. You don't always have hot and cold uh, uh, aisles in a back office (laughs) Uh, in a retail location. So ARM definitely allows you to run things, albeit has, um, you know, a lot of times less processing power mm-hmm. um but it also means it's um it doesn't get as hot so you don't have to to kind of uh worry about that as much yeah. in terms of that brings the form factor down that being said you know some of the biggest supercomputers are built from arm it's not that it can't you know um <laughs> compete with x86 but it is used a lot more in yeah. sort of the edge uh use cases and it's unavoidable um i think when it comes to uh, looking at form factor and how uh you'll design your compute uh, when uh, thinking about edge devices because you'll be able to kind of um you know, think about how small those sensors and those kind of things are. Yeah, and uh, agreed, right? Like it's not that ARM can't be run in data centers, it's the ability for it to go down in form factor or support that no fan use case, right? Like so I think that's that's where it, it shines in, in specifically for these edge deployments. Yeah, and, and the big thing I think, you know, the, the big difference that I got out of, of looking at x86 versus ARM um, right, x86 has all these, you know, graphics cards, and memory, and storage, and CPU as independent modules, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas ARM uh, doesn't have a separate CPU; instead, it's kind of part of the processing unit, uh, the same physical substrate. So um, they often recur uh, uh, talk about these processors as a system on a chip or an SOC. Yeah. Um, so again, that brings the form factor down. It also means they're they're more they're designed um, by more manufacturers, and they're designed yeah. more purpose-built for the use case and solution, right? Uh, you talked about self-driving cars and things like that. Those are all going to be very purpose-built systems. Um, and I I don't know the breakdown of how many <laughs> or if they use uh, ARM <laughs> or not, but it just kind of leads to the point of uh, ARM is going to be here to stay when it comes to Edge. Yeah, makes sense. Cool, cool. Okay. So let's turn to some of the, let's just list a couple of the options in the Kubernetes ecosystem when it comes to sort of um, architectures mm-hmm. or I guess I'll call them more um, platforms or, or, or distribution. distribution. So yeah, um, we have K3S, which is mm-hmm. um, a, a, well, we'll get into the details, but K3S is out there, which is kind of a smaller form factor of Kubernetes. We'll go into the details about that. Microkates, um, um, uh, again, also sort of a Kubernetes distribution that's a smaller form factor, you know, built for these types of use cases. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll also talk about Cube Edge, which is sort of a bigger concept of yeah. how you manage both sort of the core and the edge components. Um, and then some other ones in CNCF landscape, Super Edge, Acree, I, I might not even be saying that right, <laughs> AKRI. Uh, and open your, I think, is the ones I have on here that we'll kind of dig into a little bit. So let's start with K3S. Let's dive uh, in a little bit. 
Yeah, so K3S, right? Like if you do a quick Google search, Kubernetes at the edge or Kubernetes small form factor, the first result I'm sure that shows up is K3S. So K3S, there is a fun story which I learned this week, right? I was uh, As I was doing research, like it was uh, Darren Shepard, like he created these this specific distribution at Rancher. And the whole reason for that was he was writing code and every time he wanted to test something, he had to deploy like a full-fledged Kubernetes cluster, which took time, which took a lot of resources. And he's like, nope. There is, there has to be an easy way. And I'm just like, wow, when I have a problem, I just wait it out. You know, I, I don't go and create a, a distribution because Rancher, <laughs> like Darren and Rancher made the, this K3S distribution by removing over 3 billion lines of code, dude, 3 billion lines of code from the community source code. He trimmed out all the non-CSI storage provider, any alpha features, any legacy components that weren't necessary to implement the Kubernetes API functionality or API fully, like everything was gone. And then like he created his like small footprint offering or a distribution that he could use for his testing. And then it has just taken off from that point. Yeah, I think the uh, the binary is what, like less than 70 megabytes, right? I know. Which is, which is pretty tiny when it when you compare it to a lot of other things. I mean, I think the, the website also says less than 100, but I think it depends yeah. on the version and things like that. But, you know, again, uh, K3S is also um, supported on, I think, ARM64 and ARMv7. Mm -hmm. So again, sort of a small distro, but also optimized for those specific architectures. Uh, doesn't mean you can't run it on a big old x86 server yeah. uh, in cloud. You can absolutely do that, which is kind of maybe a pro for the flexibility of K3S. Definitely. And it, it, like, even though it removed all of those things that I just listed before, right? It, it it is completely bare bones, but it still has all the necessary components that you would need to like run a Kubernetes cluster. Right. I don't so know if have, I can say. Yeah, you I can two, say two main <laughs> components, right? It's the server and the agent in K3S. Yeah, and it much. still has container D support, ingress controller. It has a CNI that you can use. So it has those things available inside the 70 megs of, of uh, binary that it has or that you can use to deploy. Uh, the only thing is it doesn't rely like, like on etcd for that backing data store. So mm -hmm. it uses, uh, it can use SQLite. And I know recently Rancher has also introduced like DQLite or CRAFT or CRAFT, but I don't want to confuse the Kafka folks. So CRAFT uh, to be used as the, as the backing data store. So obviously you can take this and customize this if you want to install like a specific plugin for a specific storage a solution that you're using at the edge you can definitely do that but yeah uh, bare bones i think that's the keyword for me yeah and and i think it's you know some of the the pros i had on my list for k3s was it can run in a single master um sort of deployment right right mm -hmm. for those really resource constrained you have like a single master and an agent uh, at a minimum, and it uses the built-in uh, data store instead of etcd for that. But yeah. it does have the capability to run HA, meaning yep. it can run three masters. And then I think it also it plugs into other data stores. I think it was like MySQL and others and, and some yeah. other options. Um, but gives you the ability to um, recover from certain failures of the, of the of the master nodes and those kind of things. So it is flexible in the sense that kind of um, can run how you want it to depending mm -hmm. on the use case you have for it. No, agreed. Uh, that's it for me for K3S. Like that's the information that I have. Like we can definitely like do a full on episode and talk about all the different architectural components. But yeah, this is that one, one inch deep, mile wide. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, episode, the, right? the only <laughs> thing I'll add there is, you know, whenever you have a technology that's backed by a bigger company like Susa Rancher, um, yeah. uh, I think that gives you a little bit of, um, 
uh, support, mm-hmm. right, for using uh, the, the technology. So uh, that combined with sort of the range of operating systems it can run on, I think has a lot of things going for it. I, it's probably, if not the most popular out there. I think the only thing I had on my cons list really that that came to mind is it's it's just the Kubernetes distro. So it's not really yeah. going to solve other edge problems like how mm-hmm. do you sync data back to the core? How do you manage you know yeah. uh, multiple uh, K3S clusters? Those kind of things. It is just kind of focused not on the full platform, but just the the, uh, the distro itself. Cool. We'll put a link into sort of uh, more information about K3S and some of the architecture and stuff like that. But let's move on to microcates. Yeah, microcates. Uh, I know this is, as you said, right? Like it's important that there is somebody backing the project, even yeah. though these are part of the ecosystem. Uh, microcates, backed by Canonical, so like you have a, a huge brand name behind it. Uh, I think the thing that I that differentiates this from K3S. Uh, for me, is the ability to run across Linux, Windows, macOS systems. So you can run like okay, the, the the default way to run this backed by Canonical is on Ubuntu, but you can still run it on your Mac, uh, MacBook uh, Pro. You can still run it on your Windows machine or any other Linux distribution. And you can get access to like a Kubernetes compatible uh, API set that you can work with. I think it mostly runs as a virtualized Ubuntu flavor, though. Yeah. So it's not like it's natively running on on uh, uh, Windows or anything like that, as far as I remember. Um, so it, it does it does definitely lean towards the Ubuntu experience, meaning like mm-hmm. installations easiest with SnapD, sort of their yep. manager and those kind of things. One of the things I really like about Microcates is it, it starts as that really small form factor. I think it um, they talk about at minimum needs 500 something meg of memory to run um, you know, by default, which is pretty small. It's yeah. not like the smallest thing ever, but it's pretty small. But they have this idea of add-ons, mm-hmm. right? Um, where if you needed a DNS component or a CNS component or a storage component, you can kind of just kind of add on this piece depending on how you're using it. So it can grow uh, definitely yeah. bigger than just sort of that embedded IoT sort of use case as well. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, just a couple of things that uh, to add, right? Uh, with with K3S, if you are running on a three-node cluster, you have to say that, okay, please deploy it in, in a highly available fashion. For microcates, one thing that they have changed is if you add three nodes, it automatically knows that it has to do high availability or it has to figure out high availability. So it's by default versus manually enabling it. And then because it's using the Snap uh, ecosystem through Canonical, right? Uh, it's uh, it has automatic updates. So like the package itself gets upgraded if you have the set, set the right policy. So you don't have to worry about uh, figuring out the right packages and maybe plan for upgrading your systems at all of these edge locations. If you set it correctly, it will automatically update the binaries. Yep. Again, um, you know, I think microcates work both with ARM and Intel yep. uh, as well. So definitely kind of tailored towards the edge use case. Uh, one of the things I did like that I pointed out in my notes here is that they provide a CIS hardening add-on. So oh, yeah. if you're very security conscious at the edge, which I imagine most <laughs> are, yep. um, you can kind of enable this CIS uh, hardening add-on, which basically will um, kind of uh, probe the environment and, and and use those CIS standards um, to to give you that capability of you know having that assurance that you're kind of meeting those requirements as well. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Sure. All right. So the next one we have on our list is Cube Edge. 
Cube Edge. So Cube Edge, again, I'm just talking about like, okay, all of these are smaller uh, solutions, right? So uh, the thing that I really liked when looking into Cube Edge is the high performance. Like they did some comparisons, uh, uh, some IO performance and some application performance. And out of the three solutions that we have discussed so far, like Cube Edge performs the be- the most for somebody, like, especially like for the blog that they did, right? So if you were to trust with, that one, with, yeah. No. Yeah. So with performance <laughs> testing, Ryan, I know you and I both have experience, like, okay, you have to set the right expectations, set the right yeah. parameters, and you can defi- typically find a solution or a, a scenario where, where your solution stands out and off. But again, uh, they, they do say that, okay, low f- resource footprint requirements, but with a higher performance to allow you to run a Kubernetes uh, solution at your edge locations. Yeah, and um, just because we were talking about microcates using 500-something megabytes of memory to run, by comparison, the edge sort of runtime for CubeEdge uses Mm -hmm. 70 megabytes uh, or requires 70 megabytes to run, which is, you know, a fraction, really, when you're you're thinking about this. And and I think there's a big difference that that I see in CubeEdge is that it's not just the management, sorry, the control plane and yeah. the runtime. It's a whole slew of components. Mm-hmm. If you dive into CubeEdge, right, there's cloud components, which they talk about Cloud Hub, Edge Controller, Device Controller, which run more in your cloud core. So the core data center that's kind of connecting yeah. to your edge endpoints. And then you have a whole bunch of edge components, which is Edge Hub. Edged, which is really the agent I was talking about using that much memory to run those mm-hmm. um, uh, those applications on those devices. Meta Manager, Manager Event Bus, we talked about um, MQTT before. Event Bus allows clients to connect through MQTT that's more used in kind of the PubSub IoT framework. So really allowing you to kind of have the flexibility of using existing uh, devices that might use those protocols, service bus, device twin, being able to you know visualize all the devices in your edge network um, that it may know about. So device twin just kind of is a representation of what's on your edge network, even if they're not connected all the time. Yep. Um, and and mappers, which kind of allow you to kind of tie in other common IoT protocols like Modbus, OPC UA, and, and Bluetooth, which we all know. So a uh, lots of Lots of components. If you're just kind of coming from the, hey, I'm looking into K3S for Edge, and then you come to Cube Edge, you're, it's a little overwhelming. Ooh, yeah, it's like, wow. <laughs> just the <laughs> architecture diagram that we link, like, okay, so many boxes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in a good way, right? It makes yeah. it really flexible. It also ties in that major component of, oh, how do you sync the how do you sync certain information from yeah. your edge to your core, which uh, the previous two we talked about don't really tackle that right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Edge Hub and Control and Cloud Hub uh, are able to talk to each other to kind of get a viewpoint and sync sync certain information from your edge devices all the way up yeah. to your uh, cloud core. So there's a whole lot going on there. I think it's probably a great place to start for. Um, you know, the full solution when it comes to uh, thinking about how an edge architecture looks like mm-hmm. and um, having the necessary projects and those kind of things to get started. That being said, it is fairly new. How old is this project? I forget. I was looking at their documentation. The only reason I'm saying this because even some of the documentation is like coming soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't even have it. Uh, again, it's an incubating project, right? Yeah. So it's not like any close to graduated, but it's not even like a sandbox project from CNCF. So it's still in, in the incubating phase, early phases. So if you want to change directions, you can definitely do that right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, lots of really good stuff uh, to integrate in the Cube mm -hmm. Edge project, I think. Um, um, that's definitely one of the benefits I had on here is that it's more than just a distribution. Yeah. Right? It handles all those things um, and supports the various protocols and those kind of things. Um, that being said, I've never used it myself, but uh, we'll put some links to the documents and things mm -hmm. like that on there as well. Okay. So... No, I think we spoke a lot, right? Like these are the three main projects. I know there are solutions from like Red Hat and how they do like uh, three node clusters, including control plane and work nodes. They do like uh, something based on MicroShift, which is a space I think we should check out because they just spoke about it in uh, in the uh, in the right. product update webinar yesterday. So uh, that's definitely coming to GA status soon. Uh, it's and and the ability to run like remote worker nodes. So your control work plane can still run at your core data center. You just have remote worker nodes. So Red Hat has some interesting solutions. If you are in that OpenShift ecosystem, you can definitely check those out. Cool. So yeah, we mentioned some other ones. Uh, we won't dive into all of them in this episode. Uh, Agree, yeah. Open Yurt, uh, Super Edge. We'll put links to those in there. All other sort of CNCF projects that focus on sort of enabling sort of edge use cases and things like that. But let's let's go into um, a little bit about the sort of let's talk about data because that's always one that um, I think comes up a lot. Is when people talk about moving their applications to the edge, they often say, well, their data is going to the edge. Yeah. It's not true, right? <laughs> not true. I mean, even in um, in the most basic sort of forms, right, we're talking about, yes, there's a lot of data at the edge, but again, the point is to process that data as quickly as possible mm -hmm. and then uh, reduce that to the value. Right. Yeah. And that value is the thing that's fed back into other systems and or the thing that might be synced back up for, you know, analytics or their statistics or those kind of things. Yep. Um, yes, there you do have the opportunity to run data stores. Right. We talked with, like I said, with Brian at Chipotle, they had um, mentioned they were using Postgres at the end. And MongoDB. But, yeah. And MongoDB. And the um, the point there was that. It's yes, it's a database. It, yes, it, you can use it just as any other Postgres. But the the persistence, the expectations around persistence, is you know isn't really um, expected beyond minutes. I think, yeah. right? Um, because you know you can use it that way, but the goal isn't to kind of have long term storage of the data that's being yeah. in there. Yeah, agreed. Right? Like you don't have to store everything for eternity at those edge locations, but you need to collect everything, analyze it, sh ship the relevant information back to your central cloud locations. And yeah, and then keep doing this in a loop, I guess. So yeah, I agree. Like persistence is a thing that people need to solve for, but long-term persistence, eh, maybe not. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, let's get into a, a couple of the use cases, yeah. right? Um, well, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, I, I know we spoke about like retail, definitely a big use case, oil rigs, uh, cruise ships, like all of these are definite like the, I don't want to use the term. I I, I remember I, I heard this sometime with a, from a colleague, heavy edge, like these are definitely scenarios where you have that half rack, full rack solutions, mm -hmm. uh, 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 which you can use to run a lot of applications and a lot of compute power. Uh, but then the the self-driving cars, the uh, retail locations, the, uh, the grocery chains, all of these things, I think that definitely helps. Uh, I know uh, you wanted to talk about like a couple more around 
uh, use cases as well. Yeah, I think the ones that always get me, I don't know why they get me excited. It's like the the, the farming equipment. Yeah. Like the, the state-of-the-art farming sensor edge type use cases where, right, they're, they're picking up how much rain has been happening or like the nutrients or like some crazy, crazy yeah. uh, types of data that's being processed and therefore can feed back into directly into how that that parcel of land or uh, the crop is being kind of maintained. And those use cases are really exciting because they kind of tie this physical world um, with the technological world. Um, and again, those, those sensors are really providing feedback that needs to be sort of directly uh, fed back into some of these um some of these pieces of equipment that can adjust on the fly, right? Yeah, like um, based yeah. on the moisture level in the soil, turn on the sprinklers or based <laughs> on like, I know you like to talk about drones, right? So like fly a drone over your farm sure. yeah. and then figure out, okay, what needs care and what needs uh, to more, more care and you can figure it out or make decisions based on all of that data that you're generating. Yeah, like the thermal and multi-spectral cameras that can feed data oh, yeah. back into exactly the health of the crop, if it's mm -hmm. disease, those kind of things. Really crazy things that we don't know nearly enough about, but yes. those those um, a, use cases are... <laughs> there's a are whole domain, good. right? Like ag tech or agricultural tech. That That's a, a, like, yeah, you can go... I'm a big fan, fan of TechCrunch and all of yeah. their articles. And yeah, so they have like a whole section around ag tech and what companies are doing there yeah i mean and then you could think about like finance and banking right um yeah. your phone is a is technically an edge device for banking yes. um uh to atms and and even just the probably something everybody does is streaming um from their you know apple tv or Roku or something like that those are those are edge devices that yeah. need sort of um that speedy response. We don't want to wait forever to, to start watching our shows because okay. Um, anyway, lots of lots of use cases. Let's let's end with where to get started. Yeah, uh, like I would just say, like start experimenting with the projects that uh, uh, we discussed uh, on this episode, right? Like if you find anything that's interesting and you want us to do like a detailed episode, we can definitely do that. We can bring in experts from the community. Maybe we can get Darren to talk about K3S. Uh, so we can definitely do that. But yeah, we'll have a, a ton of links in the show notes where you can find more information about all these projects, maybe some use cases that you can use uh, or use to like, I don't know, uh, uh, start thinking about things so yeah i mean one one place i think i would suggest you get started is go grab a, a raspberry pi and, oh yeah and go on amazon and find some cool sensors that plug right into that raspberry pi um that can do some basic measurements or or calculations and you can start to process um and kind of write applications that process the data locally you can also spin something up, up on abs that you can send some data back to 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 visualize or even mm -hmm. do processing like the example we talked about before um i think that's a fun way to tinker if you're yeah. into that kind of thing definitely go check that out and obviously the projects we, we listed are all a good place to start Awesome. That's it. Let's wrap this off. <laughs> All right. So um, again, we'll be at DevOps Days Boston uh, next week. So if you are there, come say hi. Mm -hmm. um, well, shout out to joining our Slack, which there's yes. an easier way to get there now. You can head over to KubernetesBytes.com. Uh, we finally bit the bullet and created a I know. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can listen to all of our episodes there. You can watch all of our episodes there. You don't have to yep. go find them on wherever you may find them or YouTube. You can just go to KubernetesBytes.com, find out where to get our Slack, watch our videos and episodes there. Go check that out. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's about it. And if you're at KubeCon, also uh, we'll be there. So come check this out. And 
I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobbin. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. 